Have you seen how tanned the Swiss manager is? <laughs> no, it hasn't, it hasn't panned to him yet. It's outrageous. He's it, so brown. He's not, like, he's not stayed in Switzerland for long, I'll tell you that right now. Fake. The worst thing is, he's from Serbia, which is not where they get the sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, that is wonderful. And that's how we're going to start episode 14, I think. I think it's all over. Welcome to episode 14 of the Game Time Podcast. We're all watching the England-Switzerland game. It's about five minutes in for me. Ryan, how's that San Marino game going for you? Um, yeah, it's not too bad, actually. I mean, cagey start, but um, both teams sort of like really trying to impose their football. Who are, um, they, who are they against? Uh, they San Marino against Luxembourg. And Luxembourg have just scored. Luxembourg, their first game they played the other day, and they won four 0 didn't they? And that's the I've heard that's the first time they've ever won by more than two goals. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're looking to repeat it now. <laughs> it's um, no, if, I, if I'm honest, I was watching the England game, then I just I've just literally put it on, and it's one nil. <laughs> but um, I did I did watch like the opening five minutes about fifteen minutes ago when we were waiting. But yeah, like I said, they're flying the flag now. After I mentioned them, after they got the shout out last week. The national team's doing, they're doing absolute bits now, but yeah, it's not too bad. You you did it. You did it, Ryan. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> Holy shit. That's the worst pass I've ever seen in my life, Jack Butland. Oh. Can look forward to that. Post? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. The um, San Marino game. <laughs> I pressed the red <laughs> button and then I missed the best chance for Switzerland. Oh, absolute rookie. That's why he's in the second division. Right, so as you can tell, we're all watching. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> What's happened now? Oh no! I just see it. That is awful. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm six minutes and twenty-five seconds in, and Jack Butland's got a case of trench foot. <laughs> <laughs> Does not want to pass the ball anywhere, <laughs> and Jordan Shakiri's just hit the post. Right. We promise this isn't going to be an episode of us just shouting at stuff that happens in the England game. It will be a normal podcast with England interludes every now and then. So let's start it off with the weekend's game against Spain. Did you both watch it? Please say yes. Yes. <laughs> I watched the highlights, but it was extended highlights, so it's fine. So that's basically like watching it for real. It's the first international England have played since the World Cup. Uh, how do you think they looked? I thought they were okay. I thought um, I actually thought the performance was all right. I think, like you said, because it was the first one against a bigger team, a lot of people were questioning. Well, we didn't. We only really played Belgium at the World Cup uh, before losing to Croatia, uh, as well. So I think it was it's probably the first real test we've had in a while. I, I still think there's a little bit of uh, improvement that that could be there. I, th- I thought Kane, he still looks so so unfit, really, and. I'd be interested to see what, see what your take on this is, Ryan, because um, I don't want you to drop out of the podcast immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just want to... I, I feel like he almost needs to get a small in, injury that puts him out for like a month so he properly has the opportunity to rest because mm. I can't see where the next break is going to come for him. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is with, with someone like Kane is he's so sort of dedicated to training and sort of focused 
that he doesn't like taking breaks off. Like, obviously, we the game when we played Bournemouth last year when he got that ankle injury, uh, when he sort of like collided with Begovic and everyone was worried that he might miss the World Cup. But obviously, he came back after that. But he still didn't look 100% fit like in the last month or so. And he hasn't looked fit since then, I don't think. I mean, he did well at the World Cup, but it was like quite a shackled performance from most of the games. Like he wasn't really being himself. But I'm glad he's not playing tonight. But I think it's just one of the things where you can't keep him out unless he has a big injury because he just doesn't like missing games. He's a bit like Ronaldo in that way. It is that mentality where he wants to play every game, which is good. But also, like I say, it could do him some harm. So hopefully he does get a bit of time off now. Obviously, I don't think he'll play tonight, hopefully. And then he'll just um, recover. But yeah, like I say, he still doesn't look fit to me, but... Obviously, he just you can't keep him out because he just loves it too much. In a way, the problem is that he's obviously rested this evening. And if you didn't have like a massive game at the weekend, he'd probably be rested again. But you can't really leave him out against Liverpool, can you? I don't think we can ever leave him out if he's fit because he's that important to mm. us. Yeah. Like, no disrespect to like Lorente or Janssen when they are fit. They're just not the same player. No, um, and obviously, like, with, with Son, who's the only one that maybe could fill it in up front because Son, when we play him up front, he can be quite lively and like he feeds off Ali very well. But obviously he's just come back from the Asian game, so he's not going to be fit at all. So yeah, pretty much this is going to be it now until until he either gets injured or we have maybe a Carabao Cup game. So yeah, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But like I say, hopefully it doesn't do him any damage because he is very important to England and Tottenham when they when we he is like fully fit. But yeah, at the minute there's there's something not quite right and I can't really put my finger on it. But yeah, it's it's hopefully it will sort itself out with some good coaching. And some good man management. Does Vincent Janssen still play for Spurs? <laughs> I mean, we still have him on a book, but wow. he see in Turkey last year on loan. But um, we were, I think, we were looking to get rid of him again, like maybe on loan or permanently. Right. But um, he develops like a foot injury about three or four days before the transfer window ended, and they reckon that's going to rule him out until Christmas. So he'll be staying. I reckon we'll get rid of him in Jan. But he's in here for now. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidental foot injury for Vinny Janssen. Vinny. <laughs> I know. Didn't want another year in Turkey, did he? <laughs> yeah, he actually didn't play too badly. He scored a few goals over there. But that's neither here nor there. True. <laughs> um, I think last week you mentioned, and you just mentioned there how important Harry Kane is to England and to Spurs. I think you were talking last week about the England squad and obviously Jamie Vardy's dropped out. He's retired. So who is England's next best striker? I mean, this evening they've gone for the uh, combo of Danny Welbeck and Rashford up top. Who do you think is the long-term sort of number number two for England in terms of challenging Harry Kane up top? Yeah, I've got no idea. I don't know. Um, I mean, like I say, we, we don't really have anyone, which was why I was so not annoyed because Vardy's obviously got his own like priorities at his stage of the career. But he's, he was comfortable. Like I said, that's what he's comfortable with second choice. Mm. Obviously, maybe he wants to focus on club football now, but... I don't think there is. We don't have a, a second striker that's anywhere near. Like, Rashford doesn't get enough games. Welbeck is obviously a fringe player at Arsenal. And then you've got players who are either not proven international level, such as Charlie Austin and Callum Wilson, yeah. or you've got players that don't play up front. So you've got, like, Raheem Sterling or Deli Alley, who can maybe play behind but can't play up top. So, yeah, it's, like I say, that's how important he is because I don't see anyone else stepping up and filling the goal gap. I just can't see Welbeck ever being that player either. I think I don't know if Rashford really is a striker. I think it'll be interesting to see 
how Mourinho deploys him this season because he needs game time to develop. I, I, he's got such potential. Uh, I, I don't think there's anyone coming close to Kane. It'd be interesting to see how the boys in the under-21s do because Tammy Abraham scored today, but he's playing at Villa. And, I mean, Solanke, I, I don't understand how he isn't out on loan somewhere because he's probably so far down that pecking order at Liverpool that he's rarely going to get any games. Um, and obviously Danny saw it this summer that he wasn't going to get into this squad, so he moved on to Southampton. I feel like there's definitely a lower Premier League team that would have taken Solanke had the opportunity. I think someone like a Newcastle or a Huddersfield would have loved him as well. But yeah, I think there's, I think there's a big gap between Kane and everybody else. I also think um, Southgate will give those players, like you were talking about, the Austins and, and hopefully the Wilsons as well, the opportunity to play in the England team um, in, the, in, the, in the friendlies coming up because it's just giving someone else a chance to try and lock that second space down. I despair that Welbeck is probably the second choice at the moment. I know, it's a great future. <laughs> He's uh, older than Stephen Cook, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah. <laughs> Which, I'm not even joking, genuinely left me speechless when you told me that. <laughs> I actually think Welbeck's been... and He's one of these guys who's actually got relatively good stats for England, and I think that's why he gets into the squad so much. He does... He has scored a fair few goals, and like the goal that was obviously disallowed against Spain, I just... As, when it went in, I just thought that was the most Danny Welbeck of goals, where he comes on, <laughs> and he's... Oh, yeah, I've just got a goal against Spain. Not bothered, lads. And it's like, well, I mean, it was... Does he deserve that at all? But, yeah, I think... Um, I, I'm a little bit worried about that. But then on the other side of it... As long as Kane is fit, I can I can't see any us needing to replace him at any point. So that that's the the value of the system we're playing at the moment that we don't need someone to step into his the second striker role. I mean, you talked about the system, and I think was it after the Spain? Yeah, it must have been after the Spain game. Gareth Southgate in the interview said he didn't want to change the way he played. I think the journalist said something like, "Oh, you could have lumped it long," and he's like, "But we don't want to do that." And with the call-up of Ben Chilwell and Damari Gray, is it sort of showing that he's got a sort of an idea of what he wants all English football to look like, no matter what the level? Don't all rush at once. <laughs> I think the Ben Chilwell, uh, Damari, Damari Gray Sorry. thing is because it's Leicester. I don't think there's any other reason for, for those players being uh, called up apart from that. They're not, neither of them are in the first team today. And I wonder, they'll probably come on later on, but I don't know how much, for, or for how long even. Um, mm. I agree, though, that I think he's he, the system works because it looks like the guys that are getting a lot of focus in the in the younger teams are, are players that would immediately fit into our squad. And so the creative midfielder play, uh, position, someone like James Madison, Tom Davis is getting a lot of opportunities at under twenty one. Lewis Cook, I think, is probably still on the on the horizon of getting a, another call up. And then you've got the wingers. The I, mean, I don't know how old Redmond is, but he seems to have been playing the under twenty one for about seven years. Um, <laughs> But like you've got you've got Ward Prowse and, and and hopefully Damari Gray can come through because I actually I do I don't know if he wants a, a place at the moment but I think he's he is a real talent uh, and then with the guys like Jaden Sancho who inexplicably aren't in the under twenty one squad that they'll come through as well and maybe Phil Foden because of Brexit mate can't put yeah. them in the squad yeah. not not playing in England <laughs> let them play for Germany <laughs> <laughs> I mean like from the Spain game we probably should talk about that one. The the way in which England played, I think you said at the beginning of either this or the attempted block, played pretty well and looked like they held their own against Spain through most of that match, but just lacked a cutting edge, I think, at times. Like that, was it the creative midfielder 
issue was apparent because when Thiago and Isco are basically running a game for Spain, it's pretty difficult to get the ball off them. And then when England did, they didn't have the same creativity, I don't think. I feel like we do get overrun in midfield a lot, though, in these games. Like, the Belgian game was a good example. I mean, it's a good thing playing maybe Henderson or Dyer just as sort of basically a one-man midfield. And then you have Ali and Lingard or whoever sort of pushing up to help the strikers. But we do seem to sort of get dominated against, like I said, these teams that like, like to mm. keep the ball. And I feel like this could be a sort of a common theme maybe in some of the games that we play in tournament football. So there, there does need to be, I think, sometimes a sort of a, a switch of tactics. So when we're playing sort of bigger teams, maybe just think about putting a second defensive midfielder in just to sort of counteract the fact that they're going to have a lot of the ball. But obviously, like I said, that would take time. But yeah, I think, like I said, like echoing what Tom said earlier, I think they played well enough against um, Spain on Saturday. Obviously, unfortunate just to get, not, um, get that equaliser at the end. But yeah, I just feel like just Spain just have more quality throughout the pitch. And that just sort of did for us, really, a little bit. I think both, both the goals, there, there was probably mistakes in the build-up as well. Um, mm. uh, the, it was the most Luke Shaw performance I've ever seen in my life because <laughs> he had the, the assist for Rashford's goal was, was amazing he immediately then made a mistake which Carver Hull ran past him and then um, uh, was it Sol uh, scored yeah. uh, and then obviously he got knocked out and injured as well which is unfortunate but then I think Henderson and possibly Keynes, there should have been a track on Rodrigo's run when he scored from the free kick. That the marking just looked, it looked like they were doing zonal, but there was no movement in the zone. Uh, and as a result, it, it was still a really difficult finish. Um, but it was, it was probably preventable if we if we'd prepared for it properly. And I think for the rest of the game, we looked relatively, we looked a bit more strong in defence and a bit more um, confident. Uh, but then. I think Rashford maybe missed one or two chances. And you think if that's mm. Kane, Kane, he probably doesn't miss them. But if, if he'd taken those chances, it may, may have looked a slightly different outlook on the game. I just think it was quite important for us to lose because we, we played well. And it's one of those things where maybe after the World Cup, everyone was on such a high, oh, we're this great team. And we still do, there is still quite a lot of building that I think we need to do in this squad. And it's whether it's developing the, mid, the midfield creative player, getting Jordan Henderson out of the team, uh, any of those, I think there are still things to be done with England. Uh, but we still had a good performance against a str- what I thought was a really good performance by Spain. Although I, I still feel that their squad could is probably going to improve as well. Mm, I think I was listening to uh, another podcast um, by Sid Lowe and Phil Kutramidis, and they were talking about how in Spain, they the Spanish media and the fans don't really know what Luis Enrique is going to bring to the team because his Barcelona played a very tiki-taka style of football. But a lot of Spanish fans want to move away from that. So I think the game at the weekend kind of showed the weird mix of the two that they're probably still going to play that style of football, but it's going to adapt as different players come in and out of the team. I mean, Iago Spas started the game despite not being in the squad until Costa pulled out. So, I mean, Spanish football is going to be a bit of a weird one as well. That team's probably going to transition quite a lot. What does Marco Asensio have to do to get into the team as well? Because he seems to be one of those players that I swear there's always a surprise when he's coming off the Real Madrid bench. But you think whenever mm. he plays, I mean, I, I only really see him, I guess, in the Champions League. But he doesn't, he seems to perform relatively well for Real Madrid, but he still, he can't get in any first team for, for the national team or for, or for his club. 
I, mean, I, th- I think, again, I'm not the be-all and end-all of Spanish football, but I think it's literally just because the wealth of players that are mm. very similar to him. I think he's forced to play off the left quite a lot. And that's, I mean, he plays there now for Real Madrid because Isco and Modric are so good and that's sort of similar, either number 10 position or like that roaming playmaker. But I think they've got such a good amount of that creative little midfielder that he's just found himself just edged out by better players. On a, on a sort of similar note, Danny, as well, I watched a bit of the Portugal-Italy no. game. This is sort of going slightly... Please, no. Um, but, um, I, I sort of watched the game and I noticed that I didn't... I hadn't heard of like maybe five or six of Italy's yeah. players. Like maybe that's me just not bothering watching Serie A. But it seems like they're sort of like going on their own. Again, talking about like teams maybe rebuilding or reshaping. They seem to be going on their own path under Mancino. I wonder what you had any thoughts on that in terms of like the players that played. I don't know if you watched the Portugal game last night or the Poland game, but it was quite interesting to see some of these players. And I was like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> and it was like some guy from like Genoa who plays like CDM. And I was like, okay, fair yeah. enough. Um, yeah. Just what, what you're thinking about that in terms of like, say, talk about England's um sort of like things they need to do for the next tournament. What about what do you think Italy need to do? I th- I think we need a like a massive overhaul. Not not comparing it to the f- sort of Ferguson leaving United where we're going to have a bit of a hangover, but a lot of our key players retired and we became heavily dependent on them. And even towards the end, I mean, our World Cup or our absence at the World Cup shocked a lot of people. But if you actually watched Italy play in that, qualifying campaign didn't really shock anyone to be fair we were pretty abysmal I mean a stat from last night we've now won one of our last 10 international games and that was a 2-1 win over Saudi Arabia so we got a win there yeah (laughs) but I mean yeah a a lot of the players that played last night. I think Lazari, who's the right back, plays for Spal. So there's players getting in the team that normally you see an Italian team made up of just Juventus and Milan players. But Mancini's trying something different. I think it's going to take a couple of months, maybe up until, I don't know, maybe the next international break for him to really start to mould his team. But we looked abysmal against Portugal. <laughs> we looked so... I think we had like 34% possession at half-time. Like, we just didn't look very good. And, yeah, our top scorer when Balotelli isn't in the team is Giorgio Chiellini. So, that pretty much shows you what state of the Italian national team is actually in at the moment. Christ, that's, that's some going as well when you've got the next best... Um goal scorer is a centre-back and <laughs> yeah. an old centre-back as well. <laughs> yeah, and and like a probably could have retired with the rest of the old guard but decided to keep going. Yes. Yeah. Not uh, not very good. I saw um, Mancini fell out with Balotelli as well. What is it, 2013? Oh, that man <laughs> cannot, Balotelli, cannot like keep peace with a lot of people. He just seems to be quite a disrupted I mean he could have been so good but his attitude has I think cost him a lot but I mean that's that's what you get about Teddy I think he deserved to be called up to be fair he he played really well um, a good season for Nice didn't he yeah so to see him in the team but I, I just find it mental and I don't want the Italy stuff to take over but I find it mental that you had Balotelli who I was easily double digits for Nice I think he scored over 15 goals last season 
You had Chiro Mobley, who scored 40 goals last season for Lazio. Cannot do anything for the national team whatsoever. I think it's a problem higher up. It's not the management. I think it's like the Italian FA. I'm not sure they want things to change. I think now I'm going too deep. But yeah, I think there's until maybe the old guard of the Italian FA move aside. I don't think we're going to be a footballing powerhouse for a while. Well, like I say, these things do sort of like go in sort of waves. Mm. You've only got to look at the Netherlands, yeah. maybe, in terms of like where they are at the minute and where they used to be and like sort of the reputation they have. So, yeah, like I say, maybe it's, it is going to be a couple of years, maybe, where or a couple of tournaments where they're not going to be pulling trees up. But then, obviously, like I say, when everything gets sort of maybe behind closed mm. doors, you might be able to have a bit of a, a sort of like a renaissance mm. of it uh, and sort of get sort of like young players in and get a manager in who buys into the system. But yeah, it's um, it's an interesting sort of like for a few teams now, obviously Germany, Spain, mm. England, most of the European, top European nations like Italy and Holland as well. They've got a lot of different jobs to do, like building up to the Euros. Yeah. Some maybe this week, some need a massive overhaul. And it's going to be interesting to see over the next like this Nations League helping as well with making it more competitive. And the qualifiers to see like which teams are really going to be. Because I couldn't call it at the minute. I mean, like the only team maybe because of what happened last summer that you think is in a good position is France. Mm. The rest of the teams, they're all going to be rebuilding over the next two years. So it's going to be going to be very very interesting. Whereas before, maybe international football was a bit boring and a bit stale. So now it's going to be, maybe like give it a bit of a uh, boost. But yeah, so looking forward to the next couple of years worth of like qualifiers and stuff. See how teams get on. Do you think the this has changed anything the UEFA Nation League format? Does it? Because obviously there's qualification, or you can like backdoor qualify, can't you, from it? Do you think it's added something else, or is international break still like loathed by by a lot of England fans? I think on the whole, it's any, anything that makes those sort of friendlies any, a bit more exciting is, is probably good, um, especially if you can make the preparation for qualifiers and then ultimately the bigger tournaments a bit more competitive. Then that's that's fine because. It, for so long, these friendlies have been so dull, and, and you know, even qualifying comp- campaigns. I've been to. I think I went to an England game. Uh, we went to an England game. The, um, was it last year? The year before? Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, it, it just it is so dry. Uh, and then England mm. just win one nil at Wembley, and then that's it. Um, so anything that can maybe build the squad a bit more, so everyone's everyone knows their role a bit better. That that's that's great for me. And. If you're playing the bigger teams and it is a bit more competitive, it is usually funner as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one problem I have with this is the fact, apart from the fact that Switzerland are probably going to score. Oh no, they've messed it in this conference. <laughs> um, the one, the one problem I do, I sort of find with um, this, especially like obviously after what happened in the summer, um, the whole idea that sort of like people who maybe weren't watching football before or England have sort of got back into it a bit. I mean, um, the problem I found is the fact that these two games, obviously they've got the Spain game from um, Saturday night and then the Switzerland game tonight, they're both been put on Sky. So it's denying a lot of people the chance to watch the team again. And obviously it's not it's not the England team's fault that Sky paid more for the rights to the Nations League and they get to show it exclusively. But I feel like it, it's a big thing to sort of basically take away the sort of free-to-air viewing of uh, international football. Mm. Like I say, cause it, it, even though it was dry, it was always on like ITV or BBC and it got much wider audience. 
Um, and I think that this is they've missed they've missed a golden chance here to really connect with like the, the fan base from the success of the summer, and also the fact that obviously, like I said before, because I live in and around Leicester, and I know a few people that have gone tonight. It's like about forty, fifty quid a ticket Jeez. for a friendly. It's ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous. Like it's a friendly at the end mm. of the day. I know it's like only got maybe um, thirty. 5,000 capacity or whatever, but still, that's absolutely stupid. Like, do it 20 for the ticket, have it on ITV, and then, like I say, carry on the feel good facts. But it, it has left a bit of a bit of taste in my mouth about this. But, like I said, that, unfortunately, that's how it is. Like, televised football, it goes for big money, doesn't it? So, I think I've, I just had a quick Google then as well. So, as, as soon as the qualifiers come back up for the Euros, it's back to ITV. But I'm glad that ITV have kept the qualifiers. But, like I said, yeah. it's just like the immediate aftermath of the World yeah. Cup. And now it's like hidden away on pay-per-view. Exactly. Yeah, completely agree. Oh, Butland, what are you doing, mate? Christ. Yeah, I was, I was literally just keeping quiet to watch the rest of this chance. I mean, so far, what are your thoughts on the game? Looks like a second-string England team. Yeah. Yeah, looks like a third-place player. <laughs> Harry Maguire looks like he's playing for Leicester. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not too bad. I mean, like there, there was a passage of play earlier where we were pressing the Switzerland goal kick, and then Rose got fouled, and the guy got booked from Switzerland. I think it was mm-hmm. Lichtsteiner. That looked that, that was that was good to see. Like even in a friendly, sort of getting that sort of tempo up yeah. and making sure that the players are sort of sort of following on. But yeah, like I say, it is only a friendly. Unfortunately, we'd have probably done better to watch this on um, on Saturday night. Obviously, when the competitive mm-hmm. game was on. But yeah, like I say that they. they there are some glimpses, but also they look well shaky at the back because they don't really play together. These, the back three. Mm. Uh, so yeah, like I say, it's just just a bit of a bit of a one pace friendly at the minute. I am tempted to just put the San Marino game on and then just don't, look. don't just don't look back. Just six nil. Here we come. Do you reckon <laughs> Butler that Butler never actually thought he was going to play for England, or you could just sort of ride that third goalkeeper in the squad place forever? Just sitting on the bench, like oh, I don't even mind if my time <laughs> doesn't come. <laughs> also, isn't there four goalkeepers in the squad? Or am I making that up? Because it's Butland, Pickford, Alex yeah, McCarthy, Bettinelli. and Bettinelli. Yeah, you're correct. Which, yeah, it was weird. They, they Sterling pulled out because of a back complaint, and then they called up Bettinelli. Solid. They want Sterling to be the fourth goalie, or Bettinelli's going to come on as well. That, <laughs> that's the solid, like, you know, when you're playing football manager or FIFA, and you go, oh, let assistant manager decide for me. No. <laughs> 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 Are you, are you mental, mate? <laughs> also, um, just having a quick look over at the other games because, like I said, on Sky is the, the red button service. Um, Spain are three 0 up before half time against Croatia. That's, like, that's, that's, so, that's the group over them. Yeah, so I think Spain are basically put their um, put their place in next summer's finals for the uh, Nations League already. <laughs> just job done. Next. Next squad list is just loads of players from Liga B. Just yeah, it's fine. Just get... Actually, mentioning that, did you see the Denmark um, Slovakia game? Did you see that? Slovakia, yeah, the Denmark yeah. Slovakia. I did. Yeah. That was very, very interesting. That was mental. I'm not sure if you covered it. I can't remember if you guys covered it on last week's um, podcast or not. But I, mean, I don't think I've ever seen that before in my life. That they got. I think. It was like futsal players, a YouTuber was on there, and then a load of like second and third division Danish players. I mean, and they didn't look too bad actually for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I say, I saw the highlights. I mean, they weren't great, but like I've seen worse teams. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but yeah. So um, 
but then obviously the 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 game that mattered, which was obviously the um, game against Wales, uh, the game, yeah, the Wales game. Obviously, they all came back from that. But yeah, like I say, in, in terms of like a one-off sort of spectacle, it was really bizarre. But yeah, like I say, Denmark are solid enough team. But yeah, if they're gonna if they're gonna like sort of ruin themselves by arguing over pay, then obviously that's gonna sort of knock a, knock them about a bit for the next sort of tournament but yeah like I say they, they do look okay when they pick their right players they do look like a nice team <laughs> but if they carry on picking the fuck players then I'm not going to back them to get to a Euro 2020 um, I, I was listening to the, the Guardian podcast yesterday and um, Marcus Bean was on it the uh, the Wiccan Wanderers midfielder oh, yeah. uh, and he made reference about Ericsson and said that he thought that if Ericsson had maybe a yard more pace he'd be up there with the elite of the elite players in the world so you've got your Hazards and, and your De Bruyne's and players like that do you think he is that that close I, I mean he looked really good against Wales and I guess maybe it's against it's relevant against the opposition but I think he's had a really good start to the season as well and his his vision his sort of footballing IQ is top draw do you think he'll be uh your I suppose if it's Kane or, or him is, is going to be your player of the season right Ron um yeah I mean like I said unless we get like a really Really strong season from someone a bit unheralded. Um, you're then, yeah, you're or like I say, Luke obviously got player of the month the other day, which was <laughs> nice. Um, I thought it would have gone to Mane personally, mm. but obviously, these things happen. Um, but yeah, I do think that he is Ericsson is sort of like we always look a worse team without him playing, and obviously, Kane sort of rightly takes most of the sort of credit for the goals. But the way we play is sort of like if we don't have Ericsson, we look so worse off sort of creatively like again a bit like the um, like you said earlier about England and the creative midfielder mm. problem that we might have in the next couple of mm. years trying to get like a pro- true creative midfielder in we just like I say we just look like such a different team without him playing but um, yeah in terms of like I say maybe a bit early for players of the year but yeah he has made a good start mm. to the season which is rare it's usually one of our top players usually misfires for a while and then sort of maybe comes back and hits. Usually it's Kane, like I say, because he didn't score in August now. Even now he's got that off of his out of his uh, system. He um, will hopefully sort of come come back and like kick off the rest of the year if he can, like I say, sort out his maybe fitness mm. problems. But yeah, Ericsson, like I say, he's he just looks top notch and he, he works better in a team when he knows he's the big dog as well. Like for example, at Spurs, he knows he's like the top creative midfielder. Um, and then obviously Denmark, he's got such a good record for them at the minute. Like he's scored so many goals recently. He's like got double figure goals in his last, I think it's about 15, 14 games. So he's like I say, so key to them as well. But yeah, so like I say, if he if he can carry this on, then we're gonna we're gonna have a good season yeah. with him. And it won't be probably won't be too long until he maybe moves on to bigger and better things. Like, oh, Danny Rose. I don't know why I went oh, like I was going up a roller coaster. Um, <laughs> On a slightly cynical note to that question, see, I, I don't get the the if he had an extra yard of pace because he'd be a different player if he was fast, I think. Like, if he had a bit more pace about him, maybe he wouldn't play the same way he does because he's he's not slow, but he's not like yeah. Leroy Sane can just blitz away from people. But if he was fast all of a sudden, then you don't know, maybe... It changes his style of play. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess it's, it's the argument of if you went back yeah. in time and changed one thing, then everything in the world would be different. But I, I get, yeah. yeah, I think if, if you're thinking he's the same player, but just has that ability to maybe glide past people, 
then yeah, I, I see what you mean as well. But I think there is, there is a point with that that he's he's maybe. I guess the the downside of having him is he's maybe a bit static, and if he had yeah. the agility and the movement that maybe Ali has, then he he'd probably be almost be a complete player in his position. I still think he's incredible. I think he, maybe probably top two or three players in his position in the league. Um, but yeah, I I, I I understand the point. It's it's sort of like saying, well, what if Messi was six foot four? How good of a player would he be? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think mm. you could definitely say. I mean, you don't de- definitely have to say, but I think <laughs> I think Ericsson... <laughs> you have to agree with me. I think Ericsson is in like a, a similar ballpark to David Silva in terms of how important he is to make a team tick. I think City without David Silva at times, and especially now without De Bruyne, just don't tick as well. And I think it's the same for, for Tottenham and Ericsson. I don't know, you mm. feel free to disagree. No, I think that's true. Like I say, like like I said earlier, he's sort of like um, a lot of the time we look a lot of a poorer side when he's out injured or not playing because like I said there's no creative or very little creativity in terms of setting other people on. There's a lot of creativity individually in our team. So you've got like I said, Kane who can create shots from an opportunity from nowhere. You've got like Son who can run past people. Mora again who can do that. Ali can just pop up out of nowhere sometimes and just create. Um, score goals for himself or um, just sort of do something you're not expected to but he's the one that sort of makes everyone else better around mm-hmm. him you know what I mean like he sets on chances and also like I said one of the un- most unheralded things about Ericsson that a lot of people might not know is the fact that he is often uh, for Spurs often like the one the person the player we have that makes the most covers the most ground really like sort of kilometers wise often he is doing like he'll he'll run sort of like 13 14k a game easily and like i say he maybe doesn't get as much coverage because like you say you usually think about someone like the like when we had like the fullbacks bobbing up and down but he is always well, him and kane are the ones that always like trigger the when they press from the front mm-hmm. when we push from the front mm-hmm. and like i say so he is he, he's maybe not like like i say as quick as maybe sane or or Hazard, but he is like almost like a bit of a mar- marathon runner in the way that he sort of he'll just continue to plod mm. on throughout the whole game, just constantly shutting down and like sort of working space for himself. But yeah, like I said, he is class, and if we were to ever get rid of him, it would take a lot of money to replace him for a player of a similar quality. One thing that I found, I I don't know, I mean, I don't watch Tottenham week in week out. I literally just watch him on match of the day. But has he been permanently replaced by Kieran Trippier for set pieces now? Or have you always let Trippier take set pieces? Um, no, he's not been permanently anyway, at least in the last couple of games they've maybe okay. altered. I mean, like the, the last of the Watford game, I know we had three different corner takers at one point. You had not all together, obviously. <laughs> um, then... um, we had like, Ericsson tried for a bit and then Trippier tried for a bit. And also uh, Ben Davis, when he was um, he was on the pitch, he came on. I think he took maybe one or two corners towards the end of the game when he came on as a sub. Um, so yeah, it's like I say, it's one of them ones where I think Trippier has got better delivery. That's one thing I would say about Ericsson. And it's the same when we had Luka Modric as well. Neither of them can take corners for absolute <laughs> shit. Like, so bad. <laughs> like, but he seems to do the business when he plays for Denmark for corners. So maybe he just doesn't like taking corners for Tottenham. Mm. But yes, yeah, like I say, Trippier is probably better. But for free kicks, like I say, Trippier is probably bought that for now. But depends. Like I say I have seen both of them take set pieces this year, so I think it maybe depends on what type of delivery they're looking for or that sort of thing. It's still quite open to open to sort of debate and 
uh, different situations. Switzerland have had 65% possession. I was going to say, it's for the 41 first minute, and absolutely nothing's happened in this game. Butlins look look shite, and that's it. (laughs) That's literally what we can gain from it is he's a championship level goalkeeper. I wanted. I was going to mention this to you, Ryan, last week when we, when we had the pod. But Stoke, I I think Stoke are actually in real trouble this season. Mm. They haven't. They haven't had a great start to the season. I think they've won two of is it six games they've played. Um, but th- their squad yeah. is there is a lot of Premier League play, well, players that should be Premier League in that squad and Benekafobe. Um, <laughs> but, but they, I honestly think that there's a there's a chance they may. Hit, uh, well, they may suffer this season and, and they really do need to kick on and get points because that, they are the type of team that you can just imagine being right near the bottom near the end of the season and then being a couple of games away from being relegated to League One. Yeah, I mean, like I say, you, just a quick glance down their squad list and the fact that they were still adding to it rather than getting rid of it towards the end of the January transfer window, it's just mm. bizarre. Like I said, they signed like Ryan Woods from Brentford who um, obviously that's pretty, pretty good for Brentford because... Um, Obviously, he's such a key player to them in their midfield. He's sort of very um, aggressive on, on the ball and off the ball as well. So, for him to then pitch up at Stoke, where he could be, in theory, about fifth or sixth choice, if you were to go on sort of like players with international experience mm. or Premier League experience ahead of him, it's a very, like I say, it's a very weird sort of like squad they've got going at the minute. And it's not easy to pick a starting 11 from it. And I think Gary Rowan is going to struggle for a long mm. time just trying to pick out what his first 11 is. I mean, like I say, you've got someone like maybe Graham Potter at Swansea, who I thought was going to go to Stoke, actually, because um, he was played for Stoke before and he got offered uh, an interview, I think, when they were looking for a manager last year before they appointed Lambert. And he's doing a better job at the minute at Swansea with less budget and less good players than Rowett is. So, yeah, like I say, it's very weird, like the fact that they can't seem to get anything going because of all the players they've got. They should be like easily top. Do you know what the problem is? Gary Rowett quoted, I, I'm not sure if it's Gary Rowett or Peter Crouch, but there's a, I just Googled Stoke City. And these are the main headlines for Stoke City. Our season starts on Wednesday and Saturday. I mean, that's probably why they're not doing too well. They think the season starts <laughs> this week. <laughs> but they still, still think they're in pre-season. Like, why is everyone on our backs? What are we doing? Mm. Um, and then the second one, which is great, is Bojan recovery at Stoke City down mainly to himself. As opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to anyone else recovering for him. Well, I, I like the there's there's one good piece of good news coming out of them is uh, always to uh, come in twos, don't they? Is um, Berahino scored in his debut for Burundi, which is good. Solid. That's that's classic. Seno Berahino thinking, I need to keep up this rich vein of goal scoring <laughs> form. Let me go switch to Burundi. The only way I'll definitely score. I'm trying to bank him in now, and then, uh, <laughs> then I'll go, go on another drought for a few years. I, I looked at that the other day. Nine hundred and eighty-one days. Yeah, that's absolutely mental. But a fair play to him for scoring. That's probably an absolute load off his mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're eighteenth at the moment, and uh, there are teams like QPR that are below them at the moment. Uh, I think that they look like they're going to improve because they they signed a lot of players in in the loan window, haven't they as well? So they're they're obviously going to look to push on. I think the championship is one of the toughest leagues to, especially to get out of. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they face up for the rest of the season. I'm not convinced Gary Rowett is a particularly good manager either. So uh, yeah, I think they 
he he really does have a lot of pressure on his on, on his lap for the next few games after the international break, and obviously they lost Chipper Moteng to PSG. Solid, so solid. That's, huge. Sol- that's huge for them. I think um, uh, they PSG were quoted as saying uh, they wanted a player who could win the ball in the air and hold the ball up, and then somebody on Twitter, whoever it was, I'm not sure, found a stat that he lost. More aerial duels than he uh, than he won last season, which is uh, yeah, shows you PSG scouts are doing <laughs> absolute top notch work. I can't believe that they went to Stoke looking for someone with those qualities and did not pick the player. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you've got to. Uh, it's the wrong. It's like you're looking for a target man. You're looking for someone to hold up the ball and win the ball in the air. Get him over to Paris. <laughs> uh... Luxembourg are now 2 0 up. So just huge. two. Huge. At the minute, it's just kicked off the second half. I mean, it's literally just gone on to half time for me, so I'm like heavily behind. Been a... I'm still doing I'm still doing the national anthems. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching the Croatia game, mate. I mean, I didn't realise this, I was reading up earlier before. England, if they lose this, will have lost four straight internationals mm. which kind of seems crazy I, I don't <laughs> remember the last time an England team lost four in a row but I feel like in the past that would have been more of a thing but it doesn't seem too much of a problem this time around do you want to know when it last happened Danny? <clears throat> yes please it's never happened before <laughs> come on <laughs> Switzerland <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. so so we've never we've never lost four in a row so all the more pressure on the Swiss this evening. It's like an, it's like you're like an anti-San Marino. Oh. <laughs> I will, I will contend though until the day I die that that Belgium second game does not count in any way and should never be played. <laughs> like what a waste of time. Like, I know, like obviously the obviously the Croatia game was going when they lost that, and then but the the third place playoff is basically an irrelevance. Mm. And then obviously the Spain game again, Spain game counted. This game, to some extent, counts. This counts probably more than the Belgium game in my eyes, because like you're going round maybe to a ground that England haven't played at for a while. Like you're sort of trying to connect with the public. It's more of an event than a game where it was basically it was like a hangover from the semi-final. Yeah. It was just a complete waste of time. And the sooner they get rid of that, the better in my eyes. Yeah, it's a bit bit of a nothing game to be honest. Like I mean, no one even wants to win that and come third because what does that really do? Exactly, like it's just irrelevant. Uh, and I know there's one on the outside of uh, men's football I wanted to bring up this week is that I don't know if anyone saw the the women's championship game between Manchester United and Aston Villa. Yeah. I saw the score. Yeah, just the twelve nil win for Manchester United <laughs> women. Um, but I think there's there's actually I was I was reading that so there's actually a worry about it because uh, the the United team had to be put in the Championship division because because it's a new team and yeah. obviously like like all new teams you have to start at the bottom of the divisions. But they do anticipate that this is going to be like an average scoreline for that women's team for the rest of the season. Oh God! Just absolutely, absolutely phoning it in. Oh, lose FC women. <laughs> I've got Man United next week. Might might not turn up for that one last. That's all right. Let's <laughs> let's just take the forfeit three nil loss. <laughs> just uh, yeah, you know what? I'm all busy. <laughs> just confident. Anyway. Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. I think quite a nice touch. Those uh, building on that game. That um, obviously they've only had one proper. I think it's their first professional yeah. or first proper game this week, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, they yeah. the game. 
they've already beat United's record score, which is 10 now. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, as, as debuts go, like, I've seen worse debuts for a team. Like, if you're going to get in there with a with a record win, then at least I'll, I'll do the men's team straight away, like first game up. Yeah, we're here to stay. See you later, Mourinho. Yeah. I mean, like I say, they'll probably top that. They'll probably get like yeah. 15 or 16 this year. If they carry on, like you say, as they do. I know the, the Aston yeah. ladies' Twitter tw- tweeted out saying the second half was underway. Just the seven goals needed for a Villa win. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love when they just sort of, just they know they've got absolutely yeah. no chance. Okay, well, yeah. was, was, it the, um, was it the Man City West Ham uh, Carabao Cup game? I can't remember. I think it was when we were at uni, and it was like the odds of Man City uh, losing it were will give you the sh- the keys to the shop if yeah. West Ham. Whoever came up with that is is a genius and has got the biggest balls I have ever seen in my life. Because <laughs> um, if I remember rightly, Man City won the first like like yeah. six nil. <laughs> claim like I'd, I'd probably have a pound with them on that just just in case <laughs> if if that had turned around and more people had won that did they all get their keys cut but here you go ownership, straight to it? timpsons <laughs> the share of the ownership actually is less than the pound stake you originally put in <laughs> you just get a chair in the bookmaker it's like well, your they always win the, book, the, the bookies always win I mean while we're talking about uh, cool or funny moments I, from last weekend um, a bit of a local one for me the Marlow FC manager Mark Bartley got fined by the FA for wearing the wrong size trousers <laughs> so so why why are you doing <laughs> why does that it, it comes worse that someone has to make a complaint for the for that to to be a finable offence so that means Apparently, someone took a picture and realised and com- <laughs> com- complained to the FA, and he and he got fined for wearing. I think it was a thirty-four inch waist when he's normally a thirty-one. What does that even mean? desperate are you for a competitive advantage that you're looking out for what size trouser the other manager's wearing? I hate it. Oh my god. Oh. I saw that he t- he tweeted, didn't he? He said, um, uh, I'm looking forward to them coming to ours for the for the for the other the next leg of the yeah. game. And just imagine everyone expecting or inspecting everyone's trousers on the way into the game. Just sitting there like you've got a hundred trailers just there, just <laughs> 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 uh, yes, that was I did see that. That was awful. Oh, that's um Oh, that just that just shows you exactly what some. Oh, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. I I want to I wanted to bring up a, a slightly different topic, which please is is base is there is a basis basis in football, and it's the this week that there's been a lot of talk about Serena Williams and how that she may be the best athlete um, of all time. Okay, um, and that's obviously some people's opinion. She, I would argue she's probably the most dominant 
tennis player of all time, just because of um, how long she's been at top, the top of the game. But it got me thinking about um, how we view footballers in in the um, sort of the contest of the best athletes ever. And I, I, I my, my question is, well, first of all, who would both of you put as your, maybe your top athlete of all time? It's probably difficult to say. But if we're thinking about the best athletes in, in football at the moment, you're probably thinking of Ronaldo and Messi. Is there any argument anymore that they aren't the two best players to ever play the game? Oh, that's a good question. Can I answer it by saying I think the greatest athlete in football is Ken Wynne Jones? Man could jump for fun. No, <laughs> 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 um, I mean, that's a no, no. Is that the right answer to that question? I think. I forgot. What <laughs> <I forgot. laughs> I also don't know if no is the correct answer or not. Um, you're basically, you're saying that can can we like not say that Messi and Ronaldo are the can, best? Can we not? Can we not say? <laughs> can we can we not dispute that Messi and Ronaldo are the best players to have ever played well, a game of football? I, th- I think a couple of years ago there was still probably a case that um, what Maradona did for Argentina would put, maybe put him above Messi. And the goal-scoring ability of Pele would probably keep him above Ronaldo and Messi together. But I think that the, what, the fact that Ronaldo has won an international tournament with a very inferior Portugal team, mm. and the fact that Messi, even, even when he, he is declining, he is still outperforming almost everybody else on the planet. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm also of the opinion that if someone can go to a World Cup clearly on cocaine they cannot be <laughs> they, they they cannot be included in the conversation of being the best player ever um but yeah i i think pele's stats are definitely padded by playing in brazil for a very long time yeah uh, and that's the correct that's the correct opinion <laughs> you did it yeah part timers basically yeah, yeah. so but I feel now we're at the point where they probably are the best players of all time. And now it's just a conversation between which one's better. Oh, I'm not answering that. I agree in terms of like the general, general debate around it. I mean, I think that's probably true for every major sport though, unfortunately, because you obviously, you've got basically sports, well, every sport where you look at sort of golf, tennis, football, cricket, rugby, it all goes through sort of like basically like three or four main stages. So you get like, um, the obviously when you start when you get like amateurs playing it and then obviously they're good but obviously no one is really taking it seriously then you get like the first maybe period of dominance for a player so like in basketball obviously you'll get sort of players that were good in maybe the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s golf it'll be like the 1800s and football the same and then obviously then it becomes more professional um, and then obviously you get players maybe like say like Pele, Cruyff, Maradona who are considered great but then it just gets taken up to almost like superhero level where you've just got players that are just all athletes that are just dominating mm-hmm. and they're doing stuff that was just unthinkable like 20 years ago and I feel like that is just like a natural progression mm-hmm. from any sport so I feel like yeah at the minute there will be I think the, the, the greatest threat to Messi and Ronaldo will be players that come in the next 20 or 30 years because I think he's just going to naturally just get people are just going to get better and better in the same way that the hundred meter record is just going to keep coming down and like swimming and whatever running records are always just going to be, be beat year yeah. on year. I think it's just naturally how it goes. People get better. They find out different ways of doing stuff and just find out different ways of being the best. 
And I think, like I say, the, the people that could have maybe only challenged Messi and Ronaldo, who are the two, in my eyes, two, two of the best players ever to play. There's no doubt about that. Do you not now. think anyone around at the moment has any chance of challenging them? The only one that comes to mind is Kylian Mbappe, just because yeah. he's so young and has literally exploded onto the scene. Do you not think there's anyone around now? I think it's early to say, yeah, personally. Yeah, yeah. You would have said when Ronaldo first pitched up at United that he was going to be a mm. world beater and he was going to become this, like, he's basically not even a, a bloke anymore. He's like an absolute monster who just sort of constantly seems to be getting better even though he's like into his mid-30s now. There was a point when Messi was still quite a sort of like a a weedy sort of player. He would get knocked on the ball a little bit too easily or maybe just sort of like not have the finishing that he did now. And that was only maybe about 15 years ago. So I think, like I say, you need to give these players, maybe the youngsters now, the chance or like another decade to then prove themselves to be the world's best. I think, like I said, they'll, they'll, I think the, the, the greatest, the, the people who are going to be um, challenging Ronaldo and Messi will be the player, players that maybe haven't even been born yet. I think it's going to take a while until we see it, two players that are at the, at the level that they are at consistently. Mm. Yeah, I, I completely agree there because I think there is a comparison to, to maybe what, what is in basketball with, with LeBron James because mm. I think what you're going to get now is... You're, you've got these two almost transcendent players and then you're going to have guys that are very, very good for three or four years at a time and then they're going to challenge. So I think Neymar was always billed as the next one and actually now Neymar's 26. What he's doing for Brazil is still very impressive, but he's nowhere near the level of what Ronaldo and Messi were at 26. No. So I don't think he's going to reach it. And I think the thing with Mbappe, Mbappe would appear to be the most likely next person on the on the block, but there's a, a huge amount of goodwill that you're thinking. Well, he must have. He's going to have to have the same career um, improvement that Ronaldo and Messi had to be their level. And I think what happens a lot now is a lot of these guys tend to level off and then make very small incremental increases thereon. They don't have that meteoric rise that Messi had. And I mean, Ronaldo's rise is, is is the more impressive one, in my opinion, because he was, yeah, like you said, Ryan, when he was when he debuted for United against Bolton, I remember thinking, oh, he's he's a very flashy player, but that he is a completely different player to what he is now then, because he's worked on it so much and then improved and improved every single year. I'm not convinced that there is that capability anymore of that happening to a player. I think I think he actually was. Um, he benefited from being in the time of football where there was such a focus on uh, health and fitness and diet. And as a result, he yeah, improved himself so much that I feel like a lot of clubs and a lot of countries have now clocked onto this as a, as a methodology for developing players. So you're not going to be able to see that massive um, growth opportunity for, for talented youth. I think one of the stories I saw, I don't know if you saw, there was a... Uh, a story on BBC Sport today about John Parkin, about um, his legacy of being uh, this this lower league big man, and how he on sort of Friday nights before games he would uh, have a burger and chips and then have fish and chips as well. Oh, and, Jesus and on the morning of a game, he'd have a full uh, full uh, full fry up, uh, and then he'd go and play ninety minutes in like Stockport. 
Um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think actually there are across so many different levels that that doesn't happen anymore, and pro- hopefully non-league players don't do that anymore either. You'd be surprised, mate. I'm probably surprised. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a valid point. Like I said, and it sort of links in again with what I said a minute ago about like maybe sport going through four different eras. So, so you get like the amateur era, mm. then you get like the first steps into professionals, and then you get first time people are taking it seriously. And now we're at sort of like the superstar level. And it's the same with like say Three, 30, 40 years ago, people would be like one. smoking and they were just like midway between a game. Yeah, and they were just like, "Oh, we're just having a hard time fagging an orange. That'd be perfectly fine." <laughs> now, like I said, and like I, I give it about maybe five years ago. Oh, England are winning, by the way. Yeah, um, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> okay, let's go. Cool. I would like to say I'm flicking between all the games now. Here it comes. Yes. <laughs> 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 so long. Who scored? Yeah, they've only, they've only just scored, yeah. Rashford, yeah. Rashford. It's cool. been a solid minute since they scored for me. Ah, nice. What what what, what minute are you on now? Uh, 54-25. Uh, uh, 55-10. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Spain are up now as well against Croatia. How many? 5-0. Bloody yeah, hell. All, that 2-1 loss is looking pretty sweet now. <laughs> <laughs> Croatia's still crying from the World Cup final. Yeah. And like I said, they're another team that, linking back to earlier, like there's another team that we didn't really talk about, but they've lost so many players to retirement. So mm. it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. Um, but yeah, yeah. So we were talking about the, what were we talking about? About like, players' diets and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. like, I, I give it about maybe five or so years before that sort of idea of like having a McDonald's or something like that, or like a fryer, that will just be completely out of the game. People yeah. will be like, what are you? What were you doing? Like in maybe like twenty twenty five something like that. Mm. And it's yeah. just like it's like I said, and it's the idea like you'd mentioned Tom about like sort of like m- making like marginal gains where you can. That's that's going to be the theme over the next few decades, I reckon. Or because there's only so many weights you can lift and only so many diets you can follow before everyone's just doing the same as you. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be very interesting, like I said, to see see how how you go from just maybe just coming up with different strategies to become the best player in the world rather than just constantly um, hit the gym or something like that. Maybe you can, they can work out something different. Yeah. yeah. It will, it will take a long time now to adjust, I think. We've, we've, we've been very lucky to sort of exist at the same time as Messi and Ronaldo and watch them play football because mm. we're going to become like the old people <laughs> in a few years. We go, oh, I can't, they're, they're no Messi or Ronaldo. Mm. Uh, like when a new person sort of comes on the block, and I think that is what it's going to be like. Yeah, there's, there's one more thing about diet I just wanted to mention was that, um, and and you said that um, you wouldn't be surprised if there are there are lower league teams that ha- that sort of are still doing these type of things. Uh, Ryan Fraser went online to Ipswich a couple of years ago, and uh, when he left Bournemouth, he was I think he was something like 22, still pretty young, and obviously quite like relatively fit. Had played a good season in the Championship before he got promoted to Premier League. And he went to Ipswich and Bournemouth's one of these clubs that ev- everything is planned out for the players. So they, they have all their diet focus. They have to do a certain level of fitness every day. And if they don't pass these tests, they don't get into the matchday squad. And when he went to Ipswich, there was absolutely none of that. Uh, and, and they also didn't have any diet plans. So he ate, he ate Domino's like four times a week. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is Ryan Fraser. He like prides his game on being like quick and light on his feet. And there's, there's, yeah. if you, there's images of him looking like an absolute shit house of a player. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I think maybe the the, the drop down of those lo- the, the lower league teams maybe picking up, it has been a slow. And, and when you think there's players like Akin Fenwer that are bossing divisions, mm. yeah. maybe it isn't as relevant lower in the leagues. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's, there's when you can make sort of relatively small changes and increase a, a player's ability and and yeah, like you said, covering ground for players is really important. If Ericsson can run 13 kilometres, it's about getting sort of lower quality players being able to to cover the same distance and at least being able to challenge people in the game. So it's almost like that argument of like, oh, he's not very good, but he tries really hard. Yeah. <laughs> like you get, I mean, I don't know why Danny Welbeck springs to mind when I say that, but like if you can get everyone to a certain level of fitness, mm. then I mean, at some point, talent separates like the echelons of players. But if everyone can cover 13, 15K, then like, yeah. it's, you sort of get it balance everything out a little bit. I mean, on the topic of great players, whilst we're talking about who do you think is going to be the next player to win the Ballon d'Or that isn't Messi or Ronaldo? I, I, think, I think probably Mbappe. But like I said, I don't think it's going to lead to maybe like a dynasty like Ronaldo and Messi have. I feel yeah. like it'd be maybe just like say if for for example, arguments say France win the Euros or the next World Cup, um, and then he is an instrumental in that. Oh fucking hell, they're bringing Kane on. What is the point? <laughs> <laughs> Leave the bloke alone. <laughs> oh. so, something to look forward to. Oh. You know, so many players. There's no need for this at all. If he pulls a hammy, I'm going round. I'm knocking Southgate out. Bring <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, somebody else. Vardy's in the crowd. Get him to play in front of his own lot. Oh, I mean, I was going to say Danny Welbeck has literally broken someone's ankles. He's absolutely skipped past Fabian yeah. Scher and the uh, and the physios had to come on. Sorry, uh, Tom, you were going to say before I interrupt, did you? I just want to see Danny Welbeck break someone's ankles. Um, (laughs) uh, I think um, I I think uh, the next person to win the Ballon d'Or is likely to be determined by how successful PSG are Um, I I think there's because Mbappe is not number one at PSG I think if PSG is successful I think Neymar is more likely to win it than Mbappe is at the moment oh yeah I've just seen it that's really nice (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I think I think Neymar might be more lucky at the moment. Uh, I think I, I think if um, if Croatia had won the World Cup, then I think Modric could have won it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think so as well. That would have been um, a fair a fair sort of process. What's like, happened with his like war war crimes charge? What's happened there? Um, first of all, it's got nothing to do with war crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I've, ta- I've, ta- I've taken a punt. <laughs> 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 just, just capitalising on the instability that historically plagues the region. <laughs> involved. Um, no, it was uh, to do with his agent, I believe, who was agent for some of the top talent in uh, Croatia, and he um, was caught basically doing some sort of fraud or some sort of money laundering. And then Modric testified for him, but then it basically came out that he like lied under oath. Um, so he's he could be done for like perjury and part like partial tax evasion. But yeah, the funny enough that all that all went under the carpet after the uh, World Cup. Thing. 
funny what I was <laughs> I thought he had like the same type of deal as what Son had with South Korea, where if he won it, it just all, all went away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just oh, we'll forget about it. If we can get you the World Cup, then you can <laughs> walk a free man. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Laws yeah. don't abide for yeah. you. The country, just get us the trophy. Oh, yeah. And I, I, in summary, I think I think Neymar is possibly likely to win if if PSG are successful. Um, it is difficult to see outside of Ronaldo or Messi, and yeah, there isn't a superstar. I don't think Bale will win it. Um, no, and no. and then you may be looking around the Premier League the Euro with um, Wales. Yeah, <laughs> That's the only thing do it. Like, on his own, just in goal and everything. <laughs> Perhaps if um, if Liverpool did really well this season, then maybe Salah because he has obviously has the worldwide rec- recognition now. Um, but even then, I think that's unlikely as well. They don't really like the Premier League players. No, but I, I just I would rather them maybe switch the focus. They've obviously had years and years of basically just sort of going for attacking players. But like, I think they should maybe look at, a bit like when we were talking about the other week, about like the whole idea that goalkeepers, probably transfer fees have caught up to the rest of outfield players. Maybe if a goalkeeper or a defender has a really outstanding year, maybe look towards them as the Ballon d'Or. I mean, I know it's become a bit of a, like a duopoly for mm. the last couple of years, but like you look back at sort of, players that have won it before mm. like you've got Cannavaro like Lev Yashin won it before it's people like that okay like just that maybe aren't as heralded yeah mm. oh, Shakiri's fucked it over the bar what, um, what, what's the time difference between Cannavaro and Lev Yashin winning the award <laughs> <laughs> 50 years but like just that idea <laughs> they were the only two that I could think of from like yeah, no. and yeah, from because yeah. uh, I wasn't sure whether Mal- I don't think Maldini ever won it or anyone no. like that. Um, but I, I would like to see that, just like midfielders, defenders and goalkeepers maybe getting a bit more yeah. recognition that in, in sort of award ceremonies because I feel like a lot of the time they are overlooked. Yeah. Like, obviously, it's obvious that players that score goals are always going to get like the major headlines, but yeah. teams are also built on defenders and mm-hmm. I feel like that, that should be addressed. Not, not just like a pity vote, just like give it, oh, let's just give it to Jordan Pickford because he had a good World Cup. Yeah. But like, yeah. just like, they genuinely deserve it. Like, if you have like a De Gea like season where you're just saving your team constantly from goals and whatever and defeats, then that should be considered as well. It should have equal weighting. But I don't think they'll ever do it like that. Like I say, it'll probably be Neymar or Mbappe or maybe someone like if Hazard or De Bruyne ever wins the Champions League and, and, um, and a European trophy or like a national trophy then that'll probably yeah. be it but yeah yeah I, I agree with you there in terms of it probably will be Neymar I don't want him to win it but it probably will be no me too I, w- one of the other things I was going to say about um, defenders or goalkeepers winning it is the metrics that you use to measure success is they fought they, they obviously they're so in favour of goal scorers or assists and mm. even when you sort of weight it and say well if a goalkeeper has a number of clean sheets well there's loads of teams like Aderson is a very good goalkeeper and he's probably going to keep quite a fair few clean sheets this season, but that doesn't make him the best player in Europe. Um, no. And like Alisson, even with the distribution, like they, they've so rarely get assists or, or any other, I mean, you can talk about maybe saves, but then actually the number of saves you make usually is associated with how rubbish your team is. So lower teams in divi- lower teams and divisions, their keepers make a lot more saves. But yeah, it's, 
it's it, that, that that those awards are so focused on attacking intent and goal scoring ability that mm. actually it more is a it's more impressive that you look back and Cannavaro did actually manage to win it at all is is the impressive thing. Do you know, one oh, thing, yeah, yeah. I was going to say one thing that's quite mental is Sergio Ramos has been probably up there with one of the best defenders around for the last few years, and he scores like. Champions League finals, he scored in both of the ones against Atletico. Mm. He took down Salah. So, I mean, like, if you're, if you're not thinking that as... Ma- Basically as... like a goal. Exactly. <laughs> if you're not seeing that as, like, match-winning tactics... Because, I mean, the first uh, Atletico final, he equalised in, like, the 93rd minute or something. And then in the second final, he scored the first goal. So, I mean, if you've got a defender that's going to win it, it's maybe likely to be him. I don't know, maybe that's yeah. just... Me fishing, but no, I think you're right. It's going to be PSG <laughs> through and through. I think modern just... defend, modern defender who's likely to win it is going to be someone like a Mendy or a, or a Walker type of player because you can at least say, well, they're getting forward and getting assists. Mm. Um, yeah, that's true. Like I say, it would it would be measured on how well they are adding to the offensive play rather than just like I say, clean sheets or yeah. that sort of thing. But w- one thing I'm sort of thinking, I've been thinking about this for a while now. Um, I don't seem to remember maybe about 10 years or so ago. I don't remember the Ballon d'Or being this big a deal. Like it's only since Ronaldo and Messi have sort of come in and mm. sort of won it. Like I, I've seen like articles before when it's talked about like, I think Michael Owen won it one year in like 2001. Yeah, yeah he, he did. did. Yeah. And it's like players like that who maybe, yes, they maybe had good season, but like they weren't really dominating like the European leagues or European tournaments. And it's a bit weird how, like you say, you, you find these players like almost like a bit of a statistical oddity, mm. and like it seems to put the Ballon d'Or seems to take on this massive importance. Whereas, like, it's is that the one that voted for by the French newspaper, or is it by UEFA? Because one of them isn't it like that L'Equipe do? Yeah, you, they like merged, and now I think they separated again. So there's one that's voted through that French newspaper, the French magazine, yeah. and then L'Equipe, there's. Yeah. And then there's one that's voted through. It's, it's like the coaches and players mm. vote for each other. So, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Because they, they always get like one where they, like the coach of Mauritius will vote for Harry Kane. I was like, I did last time. <laughs> Just so everyone has a vote. Which <laughs> I, always like. I, I think that's quite cute. But yeah. Yeah, I, so, I don't know. I just feel like it's took on, again, a bit more of an importance like who's won the Ballon d'Or over the last few years. Because like I said before, you have got like a bit of a rogue names like... Um, Michael Owen, like say mm. Yashin's one important, and also the classic pub quiz question: Who was the first player to win the Ballon d'Or? Which is to Stanley Matthews. So, Ooh. yeah, like I say, it has become more of an importance maybe in the last decade than it was before. But it's still, like I say, an important question to have, having like the working out who the best player in mm. the, that year is. But I think it should be done more on year to year rather than just oh, it's Ronaldo and Messi. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think one of the reasons it isn't as popular in the UK is because English play or Premier League players rarely get into the top three. Yeah, yeah so that's the, true. The last time an English uh, this is this would be a good one. Can you name the last Premier League player to be named in the top three? Is it the Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard year? I was thinking that. Yeah, no, that's that was two thousand five. So actually, the last time a Premier League player was, do you want to have a go, Ryan? I'll give you one go. Um, what's so an English player in the top three? No, no, no. Sorry, did I? I meant last time someone from the Premier League. So oh, any, right. any nation was was in. I'll give you another go, Danny. Go on. 
Oh no, uh, I thought you said Premier League and still went with them too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Premier League last time, I reckon it was someone like maybe Drogba. So actually, actually, it was it was Ronaldo. Ronaldo, oh, right, Ronaldo okay. won it in 2008, and that oh, year yeah. Torres was nominated as well. Um, but that's the last time someone from the Premier League has has been in the top three. Yeah. I think I'm... that's I, that's I I mean I, th- I imagine Salah. Uh, will Salah be in it? Yeah, probably. He probably will be in it this year. I imagine. I imagine it'd be Ronaldo, Modric, and Salah this year. Um, but yeah, but like the, I think as a result, it's always been a competition really about Spain. Uh, hmm. And then Neuer's been in it a, couple, a, a year, and so is Ribery. But as a result, no, who cares in England? Like, I'm sorry we don't play Leganes every year and we score six goals <laughs> against them. But... <laughs> Just tearing down the legacy of Ronaldo and Messi. <laughs> 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 spent all day, all game, picking him up, all podcast picking him up, and you're now just sitting there going, well, we've never played against fucking Tenerife, so who gives a top? <laughs> I retract <laughs> everything I said. Excellent. <laughs> oh, sorry, Danny, go on. No, I was going to say, I think it's just a really easy narrative to sell papers and get clicks because they've dominated it for so long. So anytime someone has a hint of winning it, it's just like, oh my God, let's spam this because it's it's just an easy narrative. Like, was it the year uh, Inter won the Champions League? Like, everyone was up in arms at how Wesley Schneider didn't win the Ballon d'Or that year. Yeah. That was he's probably been the closest to like yeah. a, a non a non Ronaldo Messi type because obviously he took well basically Holland got to the final of the World Cup based on his goals and his assists yeah. and I say they were into one the treble under Mourinho exactly. and that was yeah that that was probably the only legitimate case in the last few years where you think maybe some someone would have um, come in and sort of broken the sort of the streak the streak that both of them had. Yeah. But I, I think always, I always go on, like if I'm looking at maybe or trying to remember back from certain years, I always think like the the PFA player of the year or the football writers player of the year is far more accurate for the football I watch. Because like I said, I watch more English football than anything. So like if you look back in like obviously the year, like when Bale or Suarez won it or Hazard, and you think, oh yeah, they were really, really good that year. Yeah. And like so every, like for the last decade, you just, you would just assume that it was, um, the two players, like I say, playing La Liga, but in rea- reality, like obviously, other leagues exist outside there, and it's I think it is what you make it in terms of like what leagues you watch, and you can think, oh yeah, there was a time when he was really good, or <laughs> they had a good spell when they were like I say you said about Torres, like he's become a bit of a joke now, but like back in the day, he was really good. Yeah, unbelievable. They're so uh, on merit, but like nowadays, you said oh Torres was top three in the Ballon d'Or, you've been like, huh, what are you on about shit? But like. <laughs> How is how you would sort of remember and you remember players, mm. and it's quite interesting the way like some players can become a bit, a bit forgotten through their like say again Owen winning it in two thousand one, um, and like how players now don't really seem to get a look in because that just show, again shows how good Ronaldo and Messi have been. Like yeah. what after worldy seasons, you come third. That's how it is. Until I think until they drop off heavily, and I don't know maybe this season Ronaldo's. I'm not. I think Messi's been normal Messi, so I don't know. It, it might be a couple of years before we see that spell broken. Normal Messi is still quality, though. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Making it sound like he's just like, oh, I've got one goal this year, and that's it. <laughs> he's still absolute bins as a bloke. 
I've never heard anyone describe Absolute Messi as bins. Absolutely. Oh, that is that is the title of this podcast. Messi is absolutely Serious football chat for the serious football bloke. Oh, that's wonderful. Well. I mean, on that note, has anyone got anything else they um, they want to share? Any anything they wanted to talk about this pod? Um, the the aggressive swearing from the man from uh, the air crowd that I brought up the other day that would be I, that was great. I did have a I did have a feeling you'd bring that up. That oh I mean, yes, we'll um we'll post it on our Twitter as well. So if you uh, if you want to have a look at it, I'll retweet it because I mean it's absolute gold. <laughs> It's so angry. It's just so, it's so aggressive. There's no, you know, it's a routine. It's a routine ball forward. Like, for want of a better word, fucks it up. <laughs> just, he just leathers him. That's like a volley of abuse. <laughs> I don't even know at the time, but I can only assume that they were at least 3 0 down by that point, judging by the reaction. <laughs> like, the, Way that's just a sort of like an off the cuff reaction for a goal that goes in. You think, oh no, that's been built for a full eighty minutes. <laughs> I'd love it if that was one nil after like five minutes, and that's just he's had a really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not this again! <laughs> last week. <laughs> oh, Tom, you got any uh, talking points for the last week of football? Well, there seems to have been a bit of a viral video from Bournemouth, uh, the Chelsea away game, <laughs> <laughs> of, of a woman just abusing Chelsea just with, you blue wankers. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, great, the great thing is that there are other people in the video, someone else is recording it and she's in the back, who are having absolutely no reaction to what's going on. So it, oh. it, it can't have been that bad, um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I have I've looked because she's a Bournemouth fan. I've, I've had a look into this a couple of times now, and apparently this is her thing at all games. So it, it wasn't just a Chelsea thing. Oh, is it? Does she just always go with uh, colour plus wanker? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, uh, may, maybe sort of nickname she may she may include, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. But yeah, that, I... who have we got this week? Oh, what's her nickname? Right, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a lot more cognitive thought in your version of what goes on, Ryan. <laughs> the best bit about that video I found was there's a bit on the video where Bournemouth are clearly attacking. Like people are standing up in the way. It's just still going for it. <laughs> they maybe got a corner or maybe a free kick. And you see people rising to their feet thinking, oh, we could ignore it. And she's still peddling the same four or five words. <laughs> oh, of you blue wankers. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so that's my bit for the week anyway. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, I mean I mean my bit was the uh was the Marlowe manager being fined for wearing the wrong size trousers. But also this this morning whilst I was um whilst I was milling about at home, I saw uh, Peter Crouch on Talksport talking about how he bought an Aston Martin and on like the same week that he bought it uh, he pulled up to a traffic light and Roy Keane apparently just wound down his window and just stared him down and he <laughs> sold it the next day. 
<laughs> and I, I thought that was a, I thought that was quite a, quite a funny thing that he managed to make him. I mean, I'd sell something if Roy Keane stared at me long enough. Yeah, that's true. I'm surprised he's been into Aston Martin anyway. Yeah, he, the knees would have been around the ears. To be... <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there like, like an old child's toy that he's trying to cram himself in. Like the ones you see outside the supermarket. And you put fifty feet and they rock back and forward. <laughs> like an absolute slap. <laughs> to be fair, he did say he felt really uncomfortable in it, but he tried to do his best to feel comfortable, so he wore sunglasses and blared garage music. Right, boys, thank you very much as always. This will be hopefully one of two podcasts this week. Tim and Alan should if they can figure out a time and date to do it, be giving you a Premier League preview for this weekend. So fingers crossed that comes. But for this evening, Tom, Ryan, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And remember, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Anchor.fm or tweet us, gametime underscore pod on Twitter if you want to ask us any questions. Until next week. Bye. (laughs) 